1: Garden Church Podcast.
2: I was reading a quote the other day, and it said that uh, the way a story begins shapes the story you're telling. So the idea, like, if you heard once upon a time, you know what kind of story that's being shared, or uh, in a galaxy far, far away... um, (laughs) You know what I'm talking about? It's, if you have ears to hear and eyes to see. <laughs> the way the story begins shapes the story you're telling. Um, we start our church officially on October. Oh, All right, Night Rider, I got you. I got you. <laughs> the way a song begins the story. I don't to make stuff up. Um, we start our church on October 11th, 2009. And we officially launched. The day before was October 10th. Yes, that's right. So October 10th. And um, right over here on 5th and Cerritos, across from Franklin Middle School, before we were even in this school, Pastor John, before he was a pastor, six years before he was a pastor at the Garden Church, he felt called to start a community garden. So we dedicated this piece of land right across the street where we, for years, had a community garden that gave hundreds of pounds Every year away to the neighborhood. We hosted Halloween events, after school programs. We served intentionally in the city. Hundreds of people came. The day we dedicated that, we saw the fruit, the beginning of a ministry before we launched our church. The day before we launched our church, we did a 24-7 prayer event where we covered for 24 continuous hours all the way through the night, a prayer for the garden church that was being launched at Cohiba Nightclub. We started our church in a cigar lounge slash nightclub slash bar, we took gargoyles off the walls and, and we put um, biblical uh, uh, pictures and verses on the wall. For, and then we put air purifiers, industrial air purifiers that were donated to us by a, a guy who has this massive company who worked with cleaning up major disasters. They were the first thing that was, that was set up in the entire space every day because of the cigar smell, because we had to stick the air purifiers in the kids' room, which was the cigar lounge. <laughs> that 24-7 prayer happened while the club was going on Saturday night. I remember showing up at 9 o'clock at night playing pool, I think John was there, praying and playing pool, walking around, seeing all that was going on, listening to the hip-hop music, thinking tomorrow night, church is happening here. Let's go. You had to pay for parking. This is true. When you read a book today, which there's plenty of how to plan a church, the picture of how not to is garden church. But how a story begins shapes the story you're telling. You see, we never wanted a gathering. Do you know this? We started as a missional community in the height of the missional church movement. For lack of a better, uh, just to summarize the statement, there was a season where the church was obsessed with missional. We have to be missional. And the idea was the church wasn't, so you had to go out and be where people are. And I believe that with all my heart. And so we started as, as a group that met doing beach cleanups and prayer walks where our prayer all over the city was in Long Beach as it is in heaven. We met at group homes for men living with HIV and AIDS who were on hospice. We started Bible studies there. We met at the rescue mission and did chapel services there where we prayed for the homeless brothers and sisters in our city. We, um, we, we, we were relentless in finding ways to live this thing out. And then as we were gathering in these places throughout the week, we were meeting more and more new people who were unchurched becoming Christian. And they would get baptized. And we didn't have a space except one time where we were meeting uh, once a month. They had a baptismal. They had buildings with water that were there, was there the whole time. So anytime somebody wanted to get baptism, you, need to just baptize. you didn't have to set it up. You just take them to the baptismal. We baptized people. The first person we baptized was a man living with HIV who gave his life to Christ. He got out of his wheelchair to walk into the waters of the baptismal and he sang Amazing Grace. The way a story begins shapes the story you're telling. All these people that were gathering from these, these ragamuffins, these homeless, ex-drug addicts, nobodies, they said, hey, when you become a real church, we'll come. I was like, real church? This is the church. We're missional. We're contextualizing. We're we're anti-mega church. We're deconstructing our faith, all this stuff. (laughs) So the most missional thing we could do is create a Sunday gathering. And it broke every ideal inside of my body. (laughs) But it wasn't about me. It was about what God was doing in the city and around me. It was about love. It was about generosity. It was about following God. It was about partnering with God and following his presence to extend his peace forever. You see that right there is how the story begins. Let me just say that again it was about following god's presence in partnership with him to extend peace wherever he needed it to go for ever in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth his spirit hovered over the watery chaos he spoke words into life and life became reality he made man and he said it man and woman let me make sure i get this right and he said it was very good Chapter 2, he creates Adam and Eve, puts him in the garden, gives them this task to partner with him in creating and cultivating and stewarding, rule and subdue creation on his behalf so the Garden of Eden would extend for all of creation. Genesis 3, we realize his presence. He walked in the cool of the day. God, God's desire is partnership. God's desire is presence. God's desire is peace, Shalom wholeness, everything working in its proper place. This is how the story begins. And then sin comes in and we vandalize shalom and peace. We break our partnership with God and we lose this presence, but God doesn't give up on us. He continues throughout the rest of the Bible, Genesis to Revelation 21 and 22, where God's working to restore what was lost, his presence with creation, his partnership with humanity, where they would rule on his behalf, his peace to the ends of the earth forever. Are you with me? That's the Bible in a nutshell. Let's close in prayer. (laughs) Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this. And what does Jesus do on the cross? The cross is the ultimate revelation of God's love. It's what God is like. If you ever want to know, if you're debating the Old and New Testament, if you want to know the greatest revelation of God on earth, it is Jesus on the cross, the image of a self-giving, self-sacrificing God who takes the sins of the world who takes the failure of the first Adam, who hands over his rulership to Satan, takes the throne, the the keys back from Satan. He defeats sin. He defeats death, which by the way, death is the enemy of forever. You with me? We see partnership, presence, peace, Satan, sin, Forever reestablish the relationship of Jesus because of the cross. How are we doing church? Are we awake? Ten fifty one, nine minutes in. That's just the warm-ups, not even in the notes. How the story begins shapes the story you're telling. I was reflecting because we're in a series on the foundations, the pillars of what we are as a a church. We are a church that's anchored in formation, discipleship, written, uh, influenced by the word of God, by the Bible, by having a theological vision. We have to get formation, discipleship, right? The second thing we'll talk about is God's presence. We are anchored as being a people of his presence. The third is community. We need to be a people who become an alternative reality to the world. We become a new family because of God, because of what Jesus done. And it will, it will force us to reimagine life in this new brother and sisterhood. And lastly, today is mission. The fourth anchor is mission. We're only on number two mission. We'll do the other two the next two weeks. But the way the story begins shapes the storytelling. It begins in this place, and it ends in this place, and then there's this in-between stuff. But our church, when we launched on a Sunday in that nightclub. The next day, I get a call from a pastor from Irvine who ran this massive network of churches, and he said, hey, uh, I'm with pastors from around the world, from Mexico, from Taiwan, Thailand, China, Hong Kong, Europe, Eastern Europe, UK, uh, Brazil, Argentina. He had a collection of a movement of leaders from around the world that gathered in Long Beach because God told them to meet in the international city. They're not from Long Beach. They met there. And they were meeting over the weekend we launched our church. And he said, we are in prayer. And we felt like God was saying there's a new work starting in the city that we need to bless. And we heard you planted a church yesterday. (laughs) Could you meet with us? Yeah, that's a crazy story. I'll be there. Um, Where where do you want us to meet? Well, they asked me. I said, I have a key to a nightclub. Do you want to come? True story, a hundred pastors or so from around the world came to Cohiva Nightclub at nine o'clock on Monday morning, the day after we launched our church, and they walked around that prophesying over our community. This is how, you can't make this stuff up. You know, air purifiers and gargoyles. Cigars and paid parking. Hundreds of pastors from around the world prophesying that this thing will go farther than you can imagine. Stay focused. Stay simple. Stay on the stay on the main thing. We did small groups that served at Bixby Park. We passed out hot dogs. We started Laundry Love in 2009, where we provided free laundry for low income housing. Um, we, we shared prophetic words. I'll never forget when we were doing Laundry Love and that atheist woman gave her life to Jesus because of word of knowledge. You don't know what to do. These are these defining moments. It came out of this desire for in Long Beach as it is in heaven. And to be honest, of all of the topics, formation, community, presence, that I think is most contested and most unliked by this church, its mission, it's the one that had conflict in our first small group we ever had as a garden church. It was a small group my wife and I led, and they, we had conflict resolution in the group because we said we're going to serve on mission every other week. Get three people show up to the Bible, or I'm sorry, 30 people to show up to the Bible study where we get to hang out and sing Kumbaya, and three people to show up to serve on mission. Isn't that the thing? As I begin to talk in the sermon, I know what's going to happen. You're going to feel shame and guilt. You're going to feel like you're not doing enough. You're going to feel like, oh, Pastor Darren's just driving. Don't you know? And yes, I know. And I'm praying right now that the Holy Spirit doesn't bring shame or guilt. Actually, you have the courage to identify that and move it and say, get behind me, Satan. Lord, what do you want to say to me now? It says in the book of James, faith without works is dead. Oh! A church without mission is a disciple who has learned to be with Jesus and become like Jesus, but doesn't do the things that Jesus did is? Oh, what? Whoa, no, 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 no. Let me say it again. A disciple we defined last week as someone who's learned to be with. You know, get all alone. Turn that Bethel instrumental music on. Get that candle lit. You know, dim the lights. Music. You got that cozy chair, the fake Eames chair, whatever it's called. Ames. You know what I'm talking about? With the footrest got your Bible that's you know been perfectly leather but it's the expensive leather one you know you got your I'm gonna be with Jesus right become like Jesus you know the character stuff yeah we like that that's like the self-help stuff you know what I'm saying it's like the the, uh, the yoga practice stuff but in the Christian sense it's the it's the feel good about not hurrying John Mark Homer I love John Mark that's a great book everyone should read that one you should eliminate, ruthlessly eliminate. It's, it's a yes. We need people to help us become. It's the sermon last week. You know what I'm talking about, but it's the do part. I'm good with the be and the become, but then this other thing, let's just not talk about this one. That gets me into situations that are uncomfortable. You know, sharing my faith at work, ah. <laughs> giving money to the poor, as long as they are not just taking advantage of the system. system. (laughs) I have a, a tattoo here on my arm. And it's from Galatians. It was a a reference to the apostolic call of Paul, and where he says, you know, they didn't correct his message, but they said, just remember the poor. And he said, I I was eagerly excited to do that. And I was somebody had had an interaction with somebody, and they're like, oh, that's great. As long as they don't take advantage of the system. And I was like, I was like, oh, oh no, hold my earrings. I don't care how old you are, uh, 80-something-year-old woman, I'm going to tell you what this means. And I did. Alex is like giving me that nudge, pinch, pulling my arm. I'm like, I don't care. I'm not going to say that. I don't want to dishonor your grandma. Um, (laughs) We've been called, commissioned into mission. Matthew 28, if you have a Bible, go there. You guys know this one by heart. Jesus says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, drink some lattes. No, therefore, go to coffee shops and confess sin. No, therefore, go and make disciples of your comfortable neighborhood, your cozy collection of friends who dress, look, vote, buy, shop like you. All nations. Immerse them, baptize them, dunk them into the deep end of this Trinitarian reality, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. Everything, everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the ends of the earth. So when we think of mission, what do we think? We're thinking Matthew 28. And we've we've got this problem in the church. We're like, yeah, but... I'm just not educated enough to make a disciple. I'm not a missionary like some of our friends who are called to globally travel the world to those places. There was a time in American history, multiple times, where you didn't have a choice. This is who you were. In the West, in 1776, there were 3,500 Methodists at the time of the Revolution, 3,500. Within 75 years, one-third of all of America with population growth and the expansion of frontier, one-third of the entire United States was Methodist. They didn't have any buildings or formal education. They didn't have a lot of Bibles. Um, It was this idea that we are called to this thing that it's not that some of us are commissioned, it's that all of us are commissioned, Think of mission as making disciples. I love what Acts says, Acts chapter one. You know this verse by heart as well. We talk about it all the time. It's Jesus. It's another historical account. He says, verse eight, you'll receive power when my Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my martyria witnesses uh, in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. So the beginning of the story of the church is this, how the Church story begins, shapes the story we're telling about the church. Are you with me? So our origin is the commission of all followers of Jesus to make disciples, to baptize them in the, uh, the Trinitarian reality, and to teach the world to obey the commands and to be witnesses through the power of the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. These are historical moments. And I just want to reiterate something about this as we talk about mission. This is gonna go a while. I got plenty of time. I'm gonna just keep this sermon because I feel it in my bones. I didn't feel it this morning until worship. So I'm here. It's gonna happen. You are all innocent bystanders. I'm sorry about this, but let me go there. Jesus ministered for three years. The garden is almost 14 years old. Three years, 12 dudes, 11, because one of them betrayed him and died. We know the story. All of them die eventually. Um, mostly killed, all of them except one dies of old age, John. Uh, all the other ones get killed for their faith. Uh, he has maybe 120 followers, maybe like half of this section in this section after three years, maybe. His disciples, teens and early 20s, high school dropouts, you know, they were blue collar workers with, that were poor. We know that for a fact, except for Matthew because he was a tax collector. And he takes this group and he says, okay, do you remember my vision? Yes, Jesus, heaven on earth, the cosmos renewed. Yes, you're right. Yes, you got it. All right, I'm out. You carry on. Could you imagine? Wait, time out. Whoa, 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 whoa. Like, no way. He's like, no, no, no. I'm gone. You now have my spirit get to work. And he entrusts, listen to this, he entrusts the mission of God, the renewal of all things, the reconciliation of all things. In Ephesians 1, the summing up, the unity of all things, the restoration of Eden, of heaven on earth. He trusts it to a bunch of ragamuffin nobodies. But they had been with him. They were learning to become like him. They would do what he did. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. And for 2,000 years, the church has continued in the family business of Jesus. Mission. Mission. And that's where we find ourselves. Part of this 2,000 plus year story, continuing in partnership with God's presence to extend peace forever. As a local church, as individual disciples of Jesus, we are, of course, missional. So mission, what do we mean by mission? And I want to make sure that everyone at the Garden Church knows what I mean when I talk about being a church established in the mission of God. We read Matthew 28, you read Acts 1. So make disciples, baptize the nations, be witnesses to the ends of the earth. Mark 16, verse 15 says, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Which some scholars and saints like Francis thought that literally meant preach to animals. And he did. He's like, new heaven, new earth. That includes trees and mountains and animals. And so we're to go into the world, all of creation, bringing the gospel. The gospel is not just Jesus's death. The gospel is Jesus's life, his ministry, his death and his resurrection and his reign. It's the word used to describe the good news of everything we've come to believe in the person of Jesus. So yes, when we mean mission, we mean gospel. Live it, preach it, speak it, embody it. I don't care, both. Are you guys all right? I'm just correcting some bad theology because for so long, conservative churches, we just want to win souls for Jesus. We want to make sure, there's nothing wrong with this. We want to make sure that they have a a relationship with God so that they have fire insurance, so that they go to heaven and not hell when they die. So all this justice stuff that the liberals churches are about, forget that, we want to win souls. And all the liberal churches are like, forget all the the heavenly talk and the spirit stuff. We are here to work out justice. Those people are like, we got to be justified. And they're like, justice. And Jesus is like, yep. It's the same! We're working for the same, we need a relationship with God. We need to get people saved into the kingdom. We need them to know who they are and have a transformed life and reality here and now and in the age to come. And we need to make community gardens and plant churches and be missionaries to the ends of the earth. We need to, we need to see our workplace as a mission field and extend God's reign into that territory. Are you with me, church? 2 Corinthians says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God. Listen to this. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ. So that word reconciled is to bring two things together that were separate. So this is Genesis 3. Sin and all the stuff separated us God did the thing of reconciliation. So we are to see God through Jesus brought us back together. And then it says, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the entire world to himself in Christ. Listen, not counting people's sins against them. And he committed to us the message of reconciliation, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. We are representatives of this reconciliation work. We are ministers of reconciliation. Anyone here a Christian? Great. Anyone here say yes to Jesus? Great. You are a disciple maker. You are a witness to the resurrected Christ, and you are a minister of reconciliation. Okay, so let's pause for a moment. What do I mean by that? Some of you are like, well, this is why we need to work towards reconciling races and cultures and communities that have been hostile. Yes, that is on us, the church, to be about a ministry of reconciliation where things have been torn apart. Now, I know that's been politicized and you're like, oh my gosh, woke pastor. No, this is the gospel. This is the New Testament. This is what Jesus is doing. He was Middle Eastern, wasn't he? We, we have to get to the point where, yes, we need to. Where there is separation, we bring to unity. Are you with me? Reconciliation. And some of you are like, yeah, rec- that's what it's about. We got to work towards. And you forget about the in-laws that you cut off. Or the pastor that offended you. Am I right? Some of the pastors in the room are like, amen, preach it. We'll pray for you later, Tyler. It's like, oh, I'm going to work towards reconciling the cosmos and cultures and communities. But you still have harbored unforgiveness towards your friends, once friends, because they were different than you during COVID. During COVID, that friend was posting conspiracy theories And so you cut them out and now you're no longer in relationship because they didn't get the vaccine. And you know you had a strict rule about vaccinations. And so now there's just divide and you could work towards ministry of reconciliation. Yes, I'm gonna go to the nations. I'm gonna baptize people that don't know Jesus. Have you done the work of being reconciled? That's where this goes. It's cosmic and it's so intentionally personal. What do I mean by mission? I mean that. I mean, working towards reconciling groups of people that have been hostile and have been oppressed and marginalized and working to understand and build relationship and bridges and communities, and at the same time being reconciled to brothers and sisters in the church that are different than you, that have caused pain, and you've never given them the the, the ability to not just reconcile and bring forgiveness and reconciliation, but actually... Bring restoration of relationship. It's one thing to hold on. This is a side note. Let's just lean in for a moment. It's one thing to be hurt, to name the hurt, to process the anger, bitterness, unforgiveness, and resentments that come up, came up. It's another to step in, express that pain, and move towards reconciling the relationship. And it's still yet another to bring restoration to that relationship. Now, not all of them are possible, But reconciliation is definitely possible. Some of you are stuck because you haven't been reconciled. And God wants more than reconciliation. He wants restoration. Are you with me, church? So you are a new creation. There's so many passages that could go to. Matthew 25, Jesus says, whatever you did to one of the least of these, you did did it for me. There's this impulse, this missional impulse in the lifeblood of the church, and it is to extend itself. So when we say mission, we mean witness, gospel, evangelism, justice, mercy, peace, making disciples, ambassadors of Christ, reconciliation, forgiveness, healing, wholeness, restoration, unity of all things, renewal of all things in heaven on earth. That's what we mean. And we, brothers and sisters, as the garden, are commissioned into this. We are commissioned. Just hold that up there. We don't get to choose these things, these are the things that we are commissioned into. Are we awake, church? I'm just going to pause for a moment because I'm very hot and sweaty. Um, I just want to name what's in the room. Is it 81 in here, Michael? Will you just look to tell me? 80, I was close. I'm getting close to identifying the heat of Long Beach in the summer. You know, um, I don't need water, babe. But that's so kind of you. I'll just keep going, unless you think. Do I sound like I need water? Am I good? Okay. Uh, when we moved to Cohiba Nightclub, it was because we needed air conditioning in the summer. At the church basement, we got kicked out of didn't have AC. And so um, I think we should lay hands on the air conditioning at Franklin. Um, you know, and I see your hand. Who else? More? <laughs> or you guys can just give crazy generously, and we can buy a building. I'm just saying. It's coming, okay? We're going to need your generosity for expensive air conditioning and whatever facility God wants to grant us, bless us, and move, which we will get in the coming years. Um, I want to read a quote. Uh, the mission from N.T. Wright, it says, the mission of the church then is to be the spirit-filled agency through which genuine advanced signs of new creation are brought to birth. What God accomplished in Jesus's resurrection, listen to this, is being actualized again and again in acts of justice and mercy. In the sacramental life, which mysteriously takes up water, bread, and wine into God's purposes. In the marriage of man and woman, which from Genesis to Revelation acts as a potent symbol of the fruitful joining of heaven and earth. In the creation and celebration of art, music, music, literature, and thousands of other vehicles of beauty. And T. Wright uses this language. He says, the mission of the church, through the power of the Spirit, is to live as a signpost of new creation. Live as a signpost. I was thinking about that idea, like a signpost. Nowadays, with our navigation, we don't ever look for the signs. But I was thinking about the time I really needed a signpost. And it was a couple years ago, I was doing a trail run in Big Bear by myself. I was doing a weekend away, doing a study break. And I remember running, it was an eight-mile run. It was when I was running a lot. I was training for a half marathon for long beaches. In August, it was hot. I went on this trail, and my I didn't have GPS, I didn't have any of that stuff. And there were lots of different trails you could go on. And one of them was an eight-mile loop, and one of them was like a 16-mile back and forth thing. And I remember running, and I didn't I only brought a little bit of water because I didn't carry a lot. I could do eight miles without a water. That's not saying a lot. But at the time I did not anticipate the elevation or the heat, or the steady climb for the eight-mile hike. And there were lots of little turnouts that I didn't know which way was right. And I kept running and running. And then I got nervous. Have you ever been hiking and got nervous? Like, you could be lost. (laughs) You could be lost, but not just that. You're afraid. Like, you start calculating how much water you have. You're like, am I going to make it out like I'm thinking of alone? I wouldn't survive. I'll tell you why I wouldn't survive in the show alone, because I I kept hearing things as I ran. No, no AirPods or anything like that. I kept hearing these little twigs, and in my mind, it's a bear, for sure. Not just any bear, it's the random grizzly that just happened to make its way to Big Bear. Heard about the population of the brown and blacks and said, no, I'm gonna get to the grizzly, repopulate Big Bear with grizzlies. It, they were chipmunks, okay? But I didn't know, I didn't know. And let me tell you something about anxiety and fear. There are always chipmunks. Yeah. It's a little, you can take that away, you can write that one down. All of that hyperventilating, all of that, it's just a little tiny chipmunk. All right? So eventually, after over an hour, I see a signpost. 1.2 miles, I was on the right trail. And you know what that signpost did for me? The wandering, weary, Close to dehydrated—that's a little dramatic. Um, terrified of bears, person. It brought relief to my anxious soul. That I—I I know where I'm going. It brought healing. It brings wholeness. It brings a sense of direction. The church is the signpost for this broken world. This is what heaven looks like on earth us together in Long Beach in 80 degree, almost 81 degrees uh, auditoriums, we, based on how we live this faith out, represent the coming of God's reign once and for all. You, Monday through Saturday, as followers of Jesus, are now a signpost of new creation, a symbol an allegory, a metaphor, an illustration to this world that's drowning in all sorts of craziness. That there's life coming. The story begins in hope and peace and partnership forever, and it ends with hope and peace and justice and love and mercy and our partnership with God for ever. This is what mission is about. It's being caught up in this epic story that's been unfolding for thousands and thousands of years. It's about becoming the kind of person who looks and talks and acts like Jesus wherever you are. That that translation, therefore go, make disciples. Dallas Willard says it's a better Greek translation is as you go or in your going. It's not some unique new thing that now because Jesus is raised from the dead, you are now all of a sudden sent. No, he's saying no in your already goingness. So tomorrow, when you homeschool your kids for the new year, when you drop your kids off at school, when you go to your workplace, when you take that commute, when you're figuring out where the next job's gonna come from, wherever you find yourself, know that you've been sent by God into that place as the signpost of new creation. And in that moment, you gotta ask yourself, what does mission look like in this moment? How do you live out of God's purposes. How do you live missionally today? That's the question I want to land on. Practically, what are ways we can engage culture, you could say, how do you engage culture? How do you live missionally with all of the stuff I've been talking about? I have a couple of stories in mind. The first, I think of Exodus chapter three. Moses comes across a burning bush. God calls Moses. God speaks to Moses and he says, hey, I've heard the crying. I've seen the suffering of my people. Egypt, this empire, Pharaoh, this God, this deity in their mindset has caused suffering for my people. Moses, a shepherd who passes by in his shepherding, a burning bush has a God encounter and God says to Moses, I'm sending you to free my people. Holy moly. Could you imagine? Hundreds of thousands of people oppressed by the most powerful super military power of its day. A shepherd who left his home in, in fear for death has a God encounter and God says, you're the guy that's going to bring him out of Egypt. Moses does what you and I would do. Who am I? I'm not enough. I'm not enough. God begins to debate Moses, which is hilarious. That says a lot. And eventually he convinces him. And I love the progression. It's about, hey, who, are, who? it doesn't matter. I created you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And he still, all these insecurities pour out of Moses. And then eventually God says this, asks Moses this question. What's in your hand? A staff. Perfect, I can use that. And he goes on to show what partnership with God looks like. He takes the ordinary shepherd's staff and makes it a sign of his presence and power for the people of God. It will part seas, it will bring plagues, it will become snakes and they eat other snakes. It's amazing. And that for Moses was the thing he had. He had this thing and he gave it to God and God used it. It's kind of like Jesus when he's like, hey, there's a bunch of hungry people and, and, and the disciples are like, send them away so you can get food. And he's like, you give them something to eat. And they're like, we don't have enough money. And he's like, what do you have? five loaves and two fish cool let me take your scarcity and it's redirected right he takes what what they have and he redirects it gives thanks blesses it gives what they gave him back miracle 5000 people eat and there's 12 baskets left over do you see oftentimes we begin with mission with Okay, there's so much need. I don't have anything to bring. And the question might simply be, what is in your hand? It reminds me of a friend of mine who was overwhelmed by the refugee crisis with Afghanistan. Two kids, busy life, family super busy. God kept speaking to her about it. She got overwhelmed. She began to research these things and eventually built a relationship with an organization in Southern California that was taking refugees from Afghanistan and placing them in Southern California. And they needed People. help them find jobs. Help them find apartments with low-income housing. Help them furnish their stuff. Help them be a family of support for the refugees. There's this global crisis of injustice in Afghanistan that God speaks to this girl about in her quiet times by looking at the news. Lord, what am I supposed to do? How? I don't have much time, but God took what she had and has built this entire thing and partnering. She's now partnering with other people in our community, supporting this massive thing. And it starts with just willingness to say, I got time. I got friends. I have research. I'll show up over and over again. I'll get trained. I'll do this thing. And it's this missional partnership to where more and more people are being established in the things of God. God will take what's in your hand and he will multiply the outcome. It will, you, you, brothers, you see what I'm saying? I'm saying some of you are dentists. Some of you are graphic designers. Some of you are educators and teachers. Some of you are students. Some of you um, are trying to figure out what your job's going to be. Some of you are homeschooled parents. God wants to use those things, redirect them towards blessing, and commission you into those places. Every walk will become a prayer walk. Every random interaction where you take your kids to the park could be a time where the signpost of God is put on display. How you parent, how you engage with the people around you. Are you with me? It starts with maybe asking the question, what do I have that I, that could be set apart for mission? The other story is Philip in Acts chapter 8. I love this one because it doesn't start with the question, what's in my hand? Because what was in Philip's hand was waiting tables for widows. But... He gets kicked out of Jerusalem because of persecution, and he winds up in Samaria. And in Samaria, they don't know who Jesus is. There aren't tables to wait. What they need in the moment, the missional need of the moment in the city was salvation. So he preaches the gospel of the kingdom, and people get saved. They need healing. He heals the sick. They need deliverance because they're uh, possessed and overwhelmed by strongholds and demons. And he comes in. By the way, I'm just going to throw this out there, side note why we need to start doing deliverance ministry. Every Christian needs to be a part of a deliverance ministry. We are the only people on earth who can kick out evil spirits. You think about this? We have the market, (laughs) right? Like, like you're going to go to a palm reader? You're going to go to your yoga instructor for namaste? People are being possessed and oppressed, and they're suffering from demonic oppression from Satan, mental health, anxiety, all sorts of things going on that are demonic influence. And the church needs to wake up not give them a juice or keto diet, but give them the ministry of Jesus, which includes deliverance. And that's what Philip does. It doesn't start with, okay, I got this Enneagram you know, 8, and I, I've got a Myers-Briggs personality of ISTJ, and I'm an introvert, and I'm really good at administration. I took that test. No, it's in this moment. If Jesus were here, he would do these things. And I have been, in Jesus's words from last week, fully trained. Therefore I do the master's business. Therefore I do the family business. And brothers and sisters, that the question is, what is the missional need of the moment? So have you been trained to operate in the naturally supernatural? If healing is needed, you pray for healing. If you need to share your faith, you share your faith. If a generous tip is needed, give a generous tip. If someone needs to start a partnership with an organization that supports refugees from Afghanistan, you, you show up and you bring your community with you. This is what we're called to be. When I say mission, this is what I mean. All of these things. A young kid in our church who was discipled because he came to our church because of the community garden is now serving as a youth leader in young life and at garden church. He serves in kids ministry as well. He came to faith at this church and was disciple because of the community garden and now he's giving away what he received which is just the fulfillment of Matthew chapter 10 where Jesus says go make disciples, heal the sick, raise the dead cleanse those who have leprosy, cast out the demons freely you've received, freely give brothers and sisters you have received everything give it away it doesn't matter where you are. I have a friend who was moved by the intentional parenting course. It changed her parenting, and now she started an intentional parenting course at our church. She's giving away what re- she received. I, I had a friend I met recently who is one of the hundred most richest people in the entire world. Forbes list, legit. It's crazy. Extraordinary wealth, billions and billions of dollars. I had lunch with him or breakfast. And he told me about his companies and how he partners with God in his companies. He received prophetic words about a specific company, invested in it, and it has exploded. He bought companies in Thailand. He bought companies in India because he's literally on the search to partner with God in his business. And he hires hundreds of thousands of people, and he's partnering with God in his place on mission. A woman in our church came here from New Life Beginnings. She gave her life to Jesus. Brought her five kids, jumped into a house church, got a job from one of the business owners in our church because of the connections here. She got full-time, eventually got health insurance. She served on Sundays, brought her family, and she served her extended family. I uh, Unfortunately, tragically, this year, at the beginning of the year, she died, tragically. And uh, I went to her memorial, and I heard stories of family members talking about and testifying to this person's life. You know what happened when um, she died, tragically? the house church she was a part of became her family. They all already were, but they showed up for all five kids. They showed up, and they by the way, they've continued to show up Nine, almost nine months later. They're still showing up, taking care of those families, making sure that they have what they need. We can call it missional. We can call it love, but I just want to reclaim the word Christian and call it Christian. There's nothing special about it. It's just being Christian. So brothers and sisters, when I say we're called to live missionally, we're founded in the mission of Jesus, all I'm saying is we're called to be Christian. So I want to end there and say you can live as a missionary a million different ways. And to remind you of that, we have these cards that were made. And we're going to commission all of you. But if you're a Christian, I want you to write down your name there. And as now a business card of identity, I want you to remember that you are missionary, disciple maker, minister of reconciliation. And only if you call the garden home and live generously in the city, call yourself a gardener. Because I don't want no stingy tippers in our city calling themselves gardeners, all right? I want to keep a good reputation in the city. Don't be putting a garden sticker on the back of your car cutting people off, right? I see that's going to come back to me. Can we stand? I want to pray for you guys
3: today.
1: Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit Garden.Church.